BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest began his career in open wheel cars, which included competing in Formula Renault and Champ Car, and in sports cars like the Rolex Sports Car Series and 24 Hours of Daytona. He moved to stock car racing and climbed behind the wheel of an Arca Series car in 2007. In that first season, he secured four wins, earned a runner-up at the championship, as well as Rookie of the Year honors. He was soon piloting the number 17 entry in the NASCAR Truck Series for Daryl Waltrip, then an opportunity to showcase his talents at the top level for Michael Waltrip Racing. He didn't run full-time in the Cup Series again until 20 2017 with Levine Family Racing when he ran all 36 races. He joined his current employer, Front Row Motorsports, in 2018 and has raced full-time with them ever since. In the Cup Series, 411 races over 15 years, one win, and it's a daddy. The 2021 Daytona 500 plus 28 top tens. Driver of the number 34 Ford Mustang for Front Row Motorsports. He was awesome with the Doobie Brothers. Michael McDowell joins us. Mike Michael, say hi to Mike Wallace. <laughs> hey guys, that that was an incredible introduction. I'm gonna have to get you to like uh, transcribe that so I can use it on my hero cards in my my bio. We can do that, and you know, of course, the show will be posted on online tonight, and you can grab that. But the, Kyle Petty said the same thing. He wanted <laughs> he wanted the script so he could wake up to it every morning. Kyle said that. <laughs> Mario said that. So Jeff makes. You know, when Jeff gets done reading the intro, I go, okay, this show is over. <laughs> it just works well. But, but the part about the Doobie Brothers, Rich fed me that earlier before the show. Yeah. It was Michael McDonald who was in the Doobie Brothers. But, hey, so Listen, close. Listen, it happens right? a lot. It, does it, it really? It happens a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know, I didn't know the Doobie Brothers were so popular until, until I became popular oh, and then I the, realized that. One yeah, of the greatest bands deal. of all time. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. That's funny. Well, say, Michael, anything I need music-wise, Jeff is a historian on music. He can, you know, I've forgotten up. more than most people know. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, That's wild. Well, the cool part on this show is we let the, the fans around the world learn about Michael McDowell. 
and where you started. But I want to skip up just a little bit, fast forward, then we're going to back up to the start of the show. You know, we have realized on this show, after we have a guest on, they normally go out and run really well, win a race, finish up well. And you took it just a, a step farther. You agreed to come on the show. Then you went to Texas. You qualified fifth and finished 11th. So thanks for carrying the mojo from the show. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It was that pep talk you gave me before I went out and qualified. So, um, yeah, it was a, a good solid weekend. You know, obviously qualifying really well. Um, kick-started it really nice. And you need track position at Texas for sure. So um, that helped out our day. Um, it was a wild race. I mean, really tough. To, the track was very daunting. I mean, it's super slick and high temperatures and you guys saw a lot of tire failures, a lot of crashes. Um, so it wasn't your easy, straightforward Texas 500 mile, or it was, it was intense the whole time. Michael, I have to ask you this question. I was actually going to wait till late in the show to ask you, but just when you start talking about how daunting it is and challenging Texas is, and sometimes people are known for famous things they might like to be known for or not known for, but one early in your career, you had just a horrific wreck at Texas that become world known literally world known because it was the and he walked away uh the the wrecking driving from michael waltrip down there does that does that ever re-enter your mind when you go to texas or did, were you able to just get that out of your mind well i i can't tell you honestly that it's ever out of your mind and but i'll i'll kind of explain it a little bit i've never had fear getting back into the car after that texas crash i've never had any concern of getting hurt or you know, felt like I'm not going to hold it wide open. Um, but as far as it not being in your mind, it's in my mind because every time I go out to qualify on that big Haas Jumbotron, they play my <laughs> my crash. So, yeah. I mean, How as much as I want to block it, it right? out of my mind, my eyes still work. And so I can see it on that Jumbotron when they play that. Um, but in all seriousness, it's, it's never really affect my – you know, mentality going into it. Um, I've never been concerned or worried about it. Um, and I think that, you know, Mike, you understand that things in racing happen, right. And you know, when things are out of your control, you know, when they're in your control and if you're doing this long enough, you're, you're going to hit something really hard. Um, you know, mine happened to be spectacular, but at the same time, you know, I was able to walk away and no injuries and, you know, very thankful, you know, to, to be able to say that um but it's never really affected me moving forward oh great well you definitely have uh conquered the leaderboard on a walked away program on any video clip. so <laughs> i mean that's awesome but uh let's get to the real story behind michael mcdowell i need you to go back in time way back in time and tell me what you can remember about your first involvement in motorsports. We know who you are. We know the Daytona 500 champion that you are, and we'll get into that later in the show. But how did you even create interest in this, in any form of motorsports at that time? Yeah, well, if I go all the way back, it actually starts with without a motor. Um, you know, I started racing BMX bikes with my older brother. Uh, my older brother, Billy, he's uh, four years older than me, uh, only sibling I have. And so we, we went to the BMX track as a, like just a family fun thing to do. And just like anything, it turned pretty competitive pretty quickly. <laughs> and so it became more than just a hobby. It became a sport for us. Um, and then, you know, I did that for a few years and, you know, won a national championship on bikes and then went dirt bike racing a little bit and raced some quads. Um, and then that transitioned into doing some RC car racing, believe it or not. And RC cars um, transitioned to go-karts. And so by the time I got to eight years old, I had my first go-kart and just started racing locally at our, our local uh, track in Phoenix. And I, I really feel like that's where it started and kicked off. Really launched into go-karts. And you had quite a career, if, I, if I've read right, in go-kart racing. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I've, that's all I did every single weekend, you know, from the time I was eight years old until I was 16. And you know, traveled all over the country and all over the world, really racing go-karts. And, you know, it was something that we, uh, you know, originally started out just as, you know, a fun hobby to do. And then I started traveling regionally and then nationally and then internationally. And, you know, along that way, we started to win races and started to win championships. And I would say by the time I was 12 years old, I felt like this is what I want to do. I want to be a race car driver. And from that point forward, 
I was pretty focused on on that reality of making that that come true. So if you don't mind me comparing a little storyline, Jeff, you'll remember this. We had Paul Tracy on a few weeks back, and Paul took the route of go-kart racing. And uh, he was telling us his father didn't know nothing about racing, and they didn't even have a truck and trailer. But his dad had a new Rolls Royce, and they'd put the go-kart in the trunk of the Rolls Royce and the motors <laughs> in the back seat. And that's how he got to the races every week. So what, did you have a Rolls Royce or a pickup truck or a trailer to get your stuff there? Yeah, that's funny. I mean – to, to give you some backstory, you know, how the go-kart thing happened was my brother had a friend in elementary school, um, Derek McCluskey, that raced at the go-kart track. And he invited us out to just come watch. And so we went out there and we were watching. And I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. I can't wait to try this. And my dad said, well, I mean, how do we know if you're any good at it? And I'm like, well, I don't know. We just need to try. And I don't know if they did it out here on the East Coast, but on the West Coast, like in grocery store parking lots, they used to set up these little temporary go-kart tracks. And a few weeks later, just happened to be one set up. And I just said to my dad, well, let's go try it right there. And if I beat you, will you get me a go-kart? And, um, and so we did, and I beat him. Now, keep in mind, I was probably 50 pounds, and he was two-something. So it was going to be easy to beat him. Um, <laughs> the moral of the story is the same. Got... You beat him, right? <laughs> so so yeah, you're telling him. me that's and why I'm terrible at go-kart racing? Because I'm fat? <laughs> uh, weight, weight has a tremendous amount to do with it. Um, gotcha. So, you know, we, we bought our first go-kart from my brother's friend, uh, the McClutskies. And, you know, we loaded it up in the back of a pickup truck and went out to the track and just started making laps. And... And that was probably the extent of it, you know, in the beginning, we didn't have a truck and trailer and all the stuff. It just started out making laps. And, you know, my dad sort of had a target time that I had to get to before he'd let me race. And so I, I, I think it was 55 seconds is what I had to do. And, you know, it took a day or two to get there and um, got to, you know, do my first race. And it, it just kind of evolved from there. So the go-kart racing, I mean, uh, was your, I, I guess I'll back this up, your, you started BMX racing in that. Was your family always involved in something, your dad, mom, dad, around that? Or it just prompted that at three and your brother, what, at seven, you guys started BMXing and then got to the go-karts? Uh, I mean, did you progress together in that sport? Yeah, so, you know, I'm not really sure exactly what came first as far as the cart or the horse, but... You know, from my family background, um, you know, my dad, I don't I don't think raced anything. I mean, definitely not uh, competitively. Um, but my mom's side of the family, my, my grandfather um, owned a Napa store and had an automotive machinery shop and rebuilt engines. And so um, they were always around, you know, hot rods and race cars and stuff like that. And my mom actually raced dirt bikes. Um, so she raced some motocross. And, um, and her sister raced motocross like really competitively. So, um, we'd been around motors and we'd been around motorsports, but I sort of say I'm the first generation racer because when I think about, you know, the Wallace's or the Earnhardt's or the Petty's, you know, that's what I think about when I think about generational, um, uh, families that are racing. So I didn't have any of that in my family, but motorsports was definitely a part of my, my mom's side of the family. Oh, that's that's way cool. So, so dad's sitting down telling you what to do. Mom's sitting down telling you what to do. Right? Yeah, how, right? Come, how come you didn't hop on two wheels then? What if, if mom was a uh, uh, rode yeah. to dirt bikes and whatnot? Why didn't you take that path? You know, I did for a little bit, um, but mostly desert racing. And I think my mom was pretty much convinced that I was going to hurt myself. So, she made me trade the two wheels for four wheels, and I, I started racing quads and. Um, that, that only lasted a little bit. Uh, there wasn't a lot of racing and it wasn't super competitive at the time. And um, so it just kind of happened organically when we had the opportunity to go race go-karts. So you, you went to the go-kart world. You did very well there, it appears. You won championships from what I can tell. Uh, how long did you continue to go-kart race? How long did it, uh, how many years did you put into that? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll back up a little bit because I think you'll enjoy this part of the story. I don't I don't tell it a lot, and I, I actually thought about it a little bit this weekend. Would love to hear any about. story that people don't know about. Right? Yeah, so <laughs> uh, jo- at the end of the show, you got to tell us a good joke. So think about that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got good jokes. <laughs> so my my family, I, we grew up very modestly, and uh, my dad um, delivered newspapers for 
man, I think probably 30 years, you know, my entire childhood. That's plus. how we grew up. Did you know that? Oh, I did not know that. The Wallace family delivered newspapers. That's oh, wow. Was. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. So, um, you know, we, we just were a racing family, just having fun and taking it all in. And well, that first year that I won my national championship, I mean, my, my parents literally spent everything they had and, you know, we were, we were in too far. We were in over our heads. You know, what happened was, is we sort of committed to running the West coast races because one was at our home track and one was in Las Vegas. And so we thought, well, the first two races are kind of home races. Let's see how it goes. And I won the first one. And I think I finished second in the second one. And at that point we were leading the championship and kind of felt committed. (laughs) And so we ended up traveling the East coast during the summer months and, and finished out that national championship. And, you know, I remember my dad sitting me down and just saying, you know, just, I mean, you could tell that he was upset and he just was spent everything he had and he was done. And, and he told my brother and I that, you know, and that, you know, my brother was always a mechanic. He was always a wrench and he never drove, but always took care of my stuff. And, and so at, I think it was probably 11, 12 years old. We had that conversation and I knew I was pretty much done racing unless I figured something out. And at the last race of the championship, um, we raced these chassis called Top Carts. And the importer of Top Carts was at that racetrack. His name was uh, Charlie Pistorio. And I just went up to him and said, hey, we've run your carts for a long time. And, you know, we've, we're a small family and we're just kind of doing it on our own. And this is going to be my last race unless I find something. And you know, that started the conversation with Charlie. And so my brother was always super savvy when it came to just hustling and business. And even at a very young age, I mean, he's only 14 at this time. And so Charlie gave us a couple go-karts. And what we did is we went back to our home track and we built a brand new one. We went out, we raced it, we won and we sold it. And we're like, okay, Let's do that again. A little profit going on there. <laughs> yeah. So we built an, we built another brand new one. Went out the next week and won, sold it. And we just kept doing this. And what happened was we ended up establishing a go-kart business where we were selling carts and parts, and I was taking care of customer stuff. So I would basically prep, nut, bolt, tear down, do all those things, get everything ready for everybody. And that evolved from doing that locally to doing that regionally and then having a a go-kart team that we race nationally. And so my brother ran the business. I took care of the mechanic stuff. My dad helped out. Like I said, he, he was always delivering papers, but his schedule worked, you know, because he could basically, they would drop the the papers off at midnight, Mm 1am. He'd deliver them from 1am to 6am. He'd come home and sleep, wake up about noon and then he was available. So, we had our go-kart shop and, and that took off and, you know, that was going pretty well. Um, but as you can imagine, it was a couple of young kids trying to run a business and the business got bigger than we did. And, you know, before you know it, we, we were, um, importing chassis and, and, you know, having 50, 60 chassis in stock and inventory and all this stuff. And we just got in over our head and, um, ended up not working out and, <laughs> So, you know, you you sort of live, learn and grow through that process. But my brother and I um, moved to California and he was 16 and I was, um, well, 12 and a half, 13. And we basically did the same thing at another go-kart shop. I took care of other people's customers. They let me race. He sold carts. We made enough to be able to keep racing. And so we did that for several years, keeping it all rolling. And, you know, I didn't go to high school. Um, I ended up dropping out because I had to work and had to take care of other people's stuff and just didn't have a lot of choices. And so we just kept grinding it out until I turned 16 and could move into a full-size car. Beautiful. Hold that thought right there. We're going to take a break. That's a very cool story, though. Yeah. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. 
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking to driver of the number 34 Ford Mustang for Front Row Motorsports, Michael McDowell. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Michael, when we went to break, we're talking about you and your brother having basically being very entrepreneurial in the go-kart business. Besides you being able to race them, you guys figured out how to sell them, make some money, continue your, your career. You ended up in California. Take it from there. Yeah, so, you know, we were a couple of teenagers living in California. Uh, we had an uh, apartment that we um, that was close to the shop, and I, I would ride my bike to the shop, and we didn't have a vehicle we were but we were close enough we could just kind of do it and you know we had success i mean he did very well on the the business side of keeping the race team strong and and getting new customers and he was really good at what he did and and you know i was kind of just the behind the scenes i just worked on everything built everything and took care of make sure everybody's cart was ready to go for the next weekend and so that that lasted a few years and you know that allowed me to keep growing and getting better and better and you know having more opportunities to kind of evolve in my career and i was racing shifter carts and you know i grew up with you know aj allmendinger and scott speed and joey ham and those guys that um you know we all raced in those same series and kind of grew up together and so it's fun to see those guys have success you know all out of that same little click um, but yeah, we just traveled around the country doing that. And my brother and I did it a few times. We went from California to Las Vegas and Las Vegas back to California. And, um, we had a, a good little deal going on. And, um, through that process, um, uh, we were working for a guy named Bill Mayer and he, um, wanted to start a formula car team, wanted to start a development program, kind of like you see in NASCAR, um, but just a smaller level. And so he, got a formula car and that was my transition from carts to cars and was able to run that formula Renault and just kind of evolved with the open wheel series as I went. And I was fortunate to um, get the, the scholarship from Mazda. It was called road to Indy and I was able to get that scholarship. And that's really what kept me in the game was, you know, I didn't have to go find a couple hundred thousand dollars to go race. I just had to find 50, and even that was really, really tough. Um, what I ended up doing is kind of a funny story, but I, I found a few guys that I was doing some coaching with at the go-kart track and training to prepay me for the year, um, you know, a certain amount of days that I would make up to them. And that's how I was able to raise a sponsorship. So it wasn't really sponsorship. I had to work it off. Yeah, that's cool, uh, though. It was an entrepreneurial way of getting your money up front. Right? Yeah, oh, it'll yeah, work for you, but I you got to prepay so me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really did. I learned so much. So this one guy, I'll never forget him because he's such an impactful part of my my uh, my career and life. His name was Bob Megdahl. And this guy was, you know, when I was, I was probably 16, so... I would imagine he was probably my age now. He was 40, but he was on the pipe. I mean, he was intense. Um, and I loved working with him. But when he prepaid for those days, in his mind, he prepaid for whatever. It didn't have to be a track day. And so he'd call me up at 6 a.m. and say, hey, I got a, I got a truck and trailer load of material. I got to get to Texas today. And, I, and I'd be like, oh, okay, well what do you want me to do? Well, I want you to take this truck and trailer full of this titanium to Texas and I'd load it up and go. Um, and so I thought I was getting prepaid for, you know, track days. Right. But I ended up working whatever he wanted me to work, whether that was picking up motorcycles in Alabama or driving to Texas or, uh, driving, you know, a truck and trailer somewhere. I would do whatever I had to do. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good learning, um, <laughs> moment for me, for sure. I bet you, I bet you're a little bit more detail orientated and clarifying what you got to do in the future, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. When you're, when you're, um, young and broke down on the side of the road with a 50 foot gooseneck full of probably a half million dollars worth of exotic alloys, you feel a little out of fish out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so how how did he take that? Did you did he know? I mean, that was his deal that he knew you were working it off, and he was cool with that because I'm assuming you didn't have to do that many track days then for him, right? Yeah, no, he was cool. He treated it as a normal day. So whatever I did, I just got paid for a day, and you know, and it it was awesome. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to race without those guys, and you know, him and and Dan Schroeder at Western Titanium and. These guys really, they wanted to see me succeed, you know? That was but nice. Bob, Where did you meet those guys at? Were they around the go-kart track or whatever? They were. Yeah, yeah. so th those guys were around the go-kart track, and, you know, just like anything, they kind of see you hustling and, and um, you know, wanted to help out and wanted to be a part of it. So, you know, it, it was a, a cool time for me. Like, when I look back now, those are some of the greatest moments. And, you know, what Bob was teaching me, and I, I know that he knows what he was doing at the time, was he just was – a hard worker and he wanted me to have that same hard work mentality you know just do whatever you had to do like it doesn't matter you know whatever you got to do to get to your goal that's what you got to do and so i learned a tremendous amount from those guys and um you know i was fortunate to you know be able to race that year on that mazda scholarship and and can, find five guys at ten thousand dollars each that's what i did i found five yeah. guys at ten thousand dollars each can you tell us a little to, bit uh, about i didn't mean to interrupt but i did yeah tell us a little bit about that mazda scholarship because you know motorsports getting involved in motorsports today is way different than it was back in the day so what what did the the scholarship do for you today how'd that work yeah um i don't know how much time we have but i'll uh, we, we got I'll as much time you, as you got you want okay well i gotta give you the full story then okay because I, I i mean i'll probably upset scott speed in the process but i gotta tell you how i got this scholarship so scott speed was on the scholarship he had the factory mazda deal and they, he was the factory driver and scott is i think a year or two older than i am and so he was just ahead of me kind of in his path and he was leading the championship and he'd won a couple of races and him and the owners of the team just had a falling out. And it was just, I mean, I don't want to go into the details, but they essentially fired him with two races to go and he was leading the championship. And so that's what opened up that seat. And, you know, I got the call and they asked if I'd run the last two races of the year and I ran the last two races and those went well. And that's how I ended up getting that, that Mazda scholarship. Um, it really wasn't mine to get. It just happened because Scott got into a disagreement and they needed somebody to fill a seat. How, how did you put your, how were you in the position? What had you done that got those owners to even call you? Why, what, did you win something, yeah. run well somewhere or what, what got yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I ran that formula Renault championship and, and won, won races and, and, you know, ran really well in that championship. But I've always hustled. So every single Mazda team that ran had my resume, had my bio, had a letter from me um, talking about who I am and what I want to try to accomplish. And and I, I made those introductions and I did that on my own. Um, and I've always kind of been like that. And and moving beyond that, I mean, from there to Toyota Atlantics to Indy cars, I mean, I, I would go out to the tests because a lot of times in Phoenix, you know, the teams will come out in December and test because they can't test anywhere else. And when there was an Indy car out there or there was a, an Atlantic team out there, or a Mazda team, I was out there. I was handing them my business card and handing them a resume. And, you know, I just hustled. And so everybody, I was that guy that just kept wearing you out. Yeah. You know, that's it's, good. Uh, yeah. I mean, Walters Arnicky had a, a resume for me when I was 16 years old and I'll never forget it. Cause you know, he said, keep in touch, you know, and I obviously I kept in touch with him for 10 years. <laughs> and when I, fi when I finally made it to cup, you know, he always comes and finds me and sees me and he remembers that time, you know? And so things like that, that you think, you know, man, I'm just wasting my time sending these guys, these letters and emails and, you know, but it paid off. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's a uh, self-motivation, self-hustle, right? It's called there. networking, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. And it works. And I'll tell you this, I didn't have a choice. So that's what I'm so happy about. Like if I look back and I go, man, it'd been nice if I had enough family money to just go do it or, but what I learned by half, I had to, I didn't have a choice. There's no other option. I had to find other people's money. And the only way I was going to do that was networking. And now it's helped me so much, you know, like I've stayed in this sport because of that. I've had a long career because of that.
And so even though it sucked at the time, I'm really thankful for what I had to do. Yeah, you you have had a long career and a, and a good career. So after you got that Mazda opportunity, uh, Scott Speed uh, offended the owners. They hired you, and you ran well for them in those races. Then you got that – are you saying you got the scholarship after that then? Yeah, so I yeah. was fortunate that you know the Road to Indy program sort of had steps, and, and that Road to Indy program still around. And so at the time it was, you know, you go from, uh, there was two, two Mazda series. Um, they had transitioned. So long story short, you, you just kind of went up the, the ladder, you know, it was basically three steps before you got to IndyCar. And so I did the first two steps and I won those championships and won a lot of races. And, um, but I was sort of right back at that crossroads of, you know, not having enough money to go IndyCar racing. I had a little bit of help from, you know, that Mazda scholarship, but it wasn't enough to do it. And, you know, I was working at Bondurant at the time. Bondurant's a driving school in, you know, Chandler, Arizona um, at the time. And Oh, so that's why you're so good a road racer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so I was working out there, and that was a great place to network. A great place to network. And, um, you know, I ended up meeting a guy by the name of Rob Finley just randomly was one of my students, you know, we don't get to pick the students. The students don't get to pick you. It's just kind of fate of how it worked. And he came to the school with his neighbor and his neighbor was the uh, CEO of new core steel. And they had a fun four days and, and, you know, Rob was a pretty talented guy, but he was a commercial banker and business guy and entrepreneur and doing really well. And I just told him, I said, Hey, you're pretty good at this. You ever thought about racing? And he looked at me like a 18-year-old kid and was like, man, I could be a race car driver. <laughs> How can I do that? And I just laid out a plan. I sent him a proposal. He went back to Charlotte. Two days later, I sent him a proposal of how I would train him, what we'd have to do, what we'd have to spend, what we needed to start it. And he wired me money the next day. And I loaded up everything I had, and I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. How about that? that that's that's a, a great story. Yeah, that's a great networking hustle right there. Um, <laughs> well, we just got to keep it going from there. Tell us more about once you moved to Charlotte. Yeah, so I loaded everything up, moved to Charlotte. I had no idea what I was going to do or how I was going to pull this off. Um, but we, we bought a Porsche, and we got a track day ready. And I started going every week, taking him to VIR and Kershaw. And as a two-seater, I'd sit next to him. I'd drive with him, got him in the gym, started working out. I found a couple races for us to do at the end of 2004. Um, it was the six-hour Watkins Glen, and we did one other race. And I, the goal was just to get him in there, let him make a few laps, kind of get the bug. I would hop in and finish the rest of the race. And you could do that in sports cars. You know, you, you have your gentleman driver start. And he could run 30 minutes, and you could do the rest of the race. And so we did that, and he loved it and wanted to do it. And so we went and started our own team. And like I said, I had no idea what I was doing. I was, I think I was 18 or 19 at the time. But the guys that I was racing Mazda for, um, some of the engineers and some of the guys that were helping out with that project, um, they had a Toyota Atlantic team and it was about to fold the, the owners of that program that had put money into it for years. They were done with it. And so there was an entire team sitting in Sonoma, California, ready to go people, haulers, everything. And I didn't know how to start a team, but I knew these guys did. So I hired, uh, Rick and Steve Cameron, uh, from links motorsports from links racing Cameron motorsports. And they uh, fired up that race team for us and made me look like I knew what I was doing. Why did you bring that race team here or did it stay out in Sonoma? So we started out in Sonoma until we kind of were able to get a shop and get everything situated. Uh, I think that lasted for about five or six months. And then we moved to Mooresville. Um, we were in the business park there on Rolling Hills Road. And, um, you know, Bill Riley and Bob Riley were just moving there production from indianapolis down to mooresville and we were running riley chassis so made sense for us and we got that shop going here in mooresville and and we you know we raced the next few years out of that building and 
you know, we ran prototypes, we ran GT cars, we went from one car to two car to three cars to four cars. It really took off and we were having a lot of fun and, and things were going really well. And, you know, just the, for me, it was trying to figure out what the next step was. Let's take a break right there. We'll come back and find out what the next step, but that's cool, man. We're talking to driver entrepreneur, Michael McDowell. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. These are great stories. Driver of the number 34 Ford Mustang for Front Row Motorsports. How'd he get there, though? Michael McDowell is here once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, Jeff Kent, I've been amazed listening to this story about Michael McDowell. Outstanding, man. I I thought I knew him, you know, as we do with all these shows, because I've competed against him. But what a great backstory. So, Michael, you you brought us all through your career and up to the point now you own a race team and you're in Mooresville (laughs) and you still kind of act like you don't know how you did it. But you must have had some direction. So keep telling the stories. I'm excited. Yeah, I think that, you know, the direction has always been this, is that I I truly don't know what I was doing. I think I still don't know what I'm doing, but it's always about people. And when I came across, you know, people that were game changers, it was when you see what they do. And Mike, you know what it's like in race teams. There's those one or two guys that really spur on the rest of the team to be successful. And I was just fortunate that. I got to meet those guys at an early, you know, stage in, in my career and they came and did that deal with me with, you know, with Steve and Rick Cameron. And so they they were the ones running it. They were doing the day to day. They knew how to manage it. It would have not made it if I was doing it. I was just a young kid not knowing what's what's going on. But I knew that they were good people and I knew that they could run a successful program and that's really all it took. Um, but you know, you know, moving into sports cars, you know, I was young and arrogant and cocky and i got myself into a little bit of trouble in um in the series and i had a few run-ins with some of the the legends and you know the the guys that have been in the sport a long time and i ended up getting suspended i had it um one or two many uh wrecks with uh, scott pruitt racing for the lead battling for it and so i'd gotten a hot seat a little bit with imsa um you know, Jim France and their group had to sit me down and say, Hey, we haven't suspended anybody, but we're going to suspend you. So that wasn't fun. <laughs> no. And so, um, but I was young, cocky, arrogant, and just full of fire. And I didn't know any other speed, you know, and it just was catching up to me. Um, but during that time of being suspended, um, Ryan Hunter Ray was, you know, an American running uh, open wheel champ car for Paul Ginolosi. Uh, much like the Scott Speed situation, almost exactly like the Scott Speed situation. Ginolosi and Ryan Hunter Ray got into it, had a disagreement two races ago in the championship, and Ginolosi fired Ryan Hunter Ray. And so this this story to me is wild. So Scott Pruitt, um, even though I'd run into him a bunch of times and had had you know that's why I was suspended, um, Ginolosi ended up calling him. And saying, hey, I need a young American. You know any young Americans that could jump in this thing and go? And Scott Pruitt gave him my name. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) yeah, and so I ended up getting to run the last two races in in IndyCar and Champ Car and um, for Ginolosi. And, you know, to me, that was like a dream come true. Oh, so you got an an IndyCar. Yeah. Oh, wow. While I was suspended. Okay. I'm thinking you're getting in some type of road race car. You're getting in an no, IndyCar. No. Okay. I got into an IndyCar. Yep. Uh, here's a crazy uh, a stat. Will Power and myself made our IndyCar debut on the same weekend. It was his first race. It was Surfers Paradise Australia uh, 2005, and we made our debut together. Man, that's incredible. I, I never – That that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So if you so, get suspended from one 
organization. Yep. Just go to just go to another one. Once. Yeah, just, but, but <laughs> you just normally don't just go getting an Indy car. Is what I'm saying. It's kind of like going to well, get a Cup car. It just doesn't that's right. normally happen. But but if you remember, just my path was that direction. Right. And and I I mean I'm telling you all this because I want to make the story clear, but I also want to sound humble. I crushed them in open wheels. I mean I did. I. I was a standout. I mean, I won eight out of 10 races in that road to Indy program and they ended up putting me in the road to Indy hall of fame and I won the championship. And I mean, I was crushing it. So the sports cars was a little bit of a derail from where my trajectory was or where people thought I was. So it wasn't too many years removed from that, if that makes sense. You know, I got you now. I understand a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't. You you were going to be an IndyCar driver is what the the intent was going to be for a while. If I, if I had a little bit of money behind me, I I would have been on that path for sure. Okay. Yep. Um, So anyways, just clarifying the details there, but yeah, so I ran those two IndyCar races and, and that, like I said, was a dream come true and it, it went well and I ran well. I mean, I think I outran Will in both of those races actually. Um, and yeah, so, you know, how these stories work, you know, I got in trouble for crashing Scott Pruitt. He was the one that ended up getting me a ride. I went and met with Chip and Mike Hull at, at Chip Ganassi racing. And, you know, they sat me down and Mike, Mike Hull in particular, who still runs their IndyCar program said, man, I don't have anything for you. I mean, the IndyCar series at the time was a mess. There was the IRL and IndyCar. They were split. Indy, IndyCar was ovals. Champ Car was road courses. Both series were struggling. And he just said, man, you're young. You're American. You need to go stock car racing. And I, I was like, <laughs> I'd never raced on an oval. I'd never sat in a stock car. I've never sat in a dirt car. I've never sat in a late model, street stock. I mean, I have only road raced and mostly open wheel uh, other than, you know, a couple of years of prototype sports car racing, which isn't much different from open wheel. And, um, you know, I didn't know really where to start. And so he connected me with their development guy, Lauren Rainier, who was working at Ganassi and then also helping Dodge at the time with their driver development program. And they got me set up with Eddie Sharp and we went ARCA racing. So when you when you did that with Eddie Sharp and I know Eddie well actually he uh, Eddie bought a house for my brother Kenny in a little shop over there but uh, did you have to bring support or did somebody just put you in that car Yeah all right so how much time do you got you want to hear a real wild story We want to hear all the stories man we're right. we're into stories the world's listening remember <laughs> Yeah yeah so here's how it went down so um, and I'll give you the full story cuz otherwise it won't make sense so end of 2005, I just got done running those two IndyCar races. I won the last race of the year in sports cars at Mexico and was just on a kind of a high, you know. Um, so th- I ran IndyCar and sports cars on the same weekend in Mexico City, sat on the pole in the prototype and sports cars, won the race, then finished 10th in the IndyCar race the next day. And so things were going really good. And I got home, um, you know, and took the off season off and, you know, met with Chip and met with Mike and those guys and all and kind of was trying to figure out what the next step. And there wasn't a clear path. And so um, I got a call December uh, that off season and my mom was sick and she ended up having uh, pancreatic cancer. So I went home to Phoenix and, and spent a month there and she ended up passing away in, in January that year. And so just, a you know, 30 days later. And when I got back to North Carolina, um, you know, I had my sports car deal. I knew that that was secure. Um, it, but, you know, it wasn't where my heart was at completely. You know, I wanted to go IndyCar race. I wanted to keep moving in my career. And so, but, you know, I was committed to it. And, you know, the team, I won't go into all the details, but they had signed a sponsor that I wasn't super excited about. And I went from being the guy that started the team and set it up to basically being just a driver, kind of working myself out of that position. 
And Uh-oh, another you know, one thought, of those just business deals, Jeff. <laughs> Nothing personal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there there was a lot of moving parts with it all, right? Yeah. And, you know, I ended up telling them, like, hey, I'm not going to drive if you got this sponsor on the car. And they were like, okay, no problem. You can't drive for anybody else, so what are you going to do? <laughs> and I'm like, no way. I mean, how did I get myself in this predicament? Um, so I ended up finishing out that season, but I told them and I was committed to them that I wasn't going to do it again, that that was going to be my last year. And for multiple reasons, you know, one, I wanted to keep my career moving forward. And two, I was not excited how that all went down and being pushed out of something I started, you know, like how do you get fired by the people you hired? You know what I mean? It's just crazy. Um, but how how long you got, I can explain it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so it who happened. was the who was the sponsor? Are you at liberty to say who the sponsor was? Yeah, you? no, no, I'm I'm going to give you the whole rundown okay. here. You're going to love it. All right, I'm on the edge of my seat. So you know, Rob Finley, Rob Finley is the guy. We spent all his money. That's that's the money we spent was Rob Finley's doing this sports car program, and he still drove and and all those things. And so I I went and met with, like I told you, I met with Chip, and I met with Mike, and I met with Lauren Rainier, I met with Eddie, and you know they were going to need two million dollars. And at the time, I was like, well, I'm out. I guess I'm going to stay sports car racing, you know? Um, and so I went and I just was having dinner with Rob, you know, the owner of the sports car team. And he said, well, what are you going to do? He's like, you're not serious. You're not actually going to leave, are you? Because he thought I was joking the whole time. You know, he thought, oh, I'm just being a baby, just being emotional about it. I'm not going to go anywhere else, you know? And um, he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go stock car racing. I'm going to go race NASCAR. And he's like, well, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know yet. I've got to figure it out. And uh, he said, well, I'll do it with you. How, how are you going to do it? So just like at Bondurant, I went home and I put together a plan. I called Lauren Rainier. I said, Lauren, hey, you don't have to tell me exactly what you're paying these guys, but what does a cup guy make? And at the time, in 2006, cup guys were doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sport was on a high and you know, you, you didn't have to win every weekend to make a good living. Right. And so he gave me a ballpark idea and I put that into the proposal and laid it all out that we were going to have to spend 2 million to go Arca racing. And it was going to cost, you know, three to go truck racing for a couple of years. And I need six to go race an Xfinity car. And if I make it to cup racing, this is what you can make. And this is how I'll pay you back. And this is how we'll do it. And he said, okay, I want to help you. Let's do it. So he gave me 2 million bucks. Well, actually it's not 2 million. It was 1.2 million, but I did four races to 2006 just to kind of get my feet wet and do some tests. So we spent 1.2 million total and we had a great season. I led a lot of laps, um, won a few races. I think in that ARCA year, I think I sat on 10 poles, won four races. I led like, 1600 laps something crazy um would blow a right front or overdo it you know just not knowing anything about stock cars and ovals but we had a really good program and we won races and you know for me i've always had a part of working on the cars and trying to understand them and when i got to arca these cars are so different that i just try to be a sponge and so if i was at the shop every day and if my car went to the pull-down rig, I went to the pull-down rig. If it went to Chassis Dino, I went to Chassis Dino. And Patrick Donahue was my crew chief, and him and I became great friends. And, you know, I was we were just with him every day. And at the time, Eddie had an alliance with Michael Walter Bracing. And so I would be there every week pulling down our cars. And so I'd be under there slinging springs, moving helixes, you know, just doing whatever we had to do. And uh, Derek Finley was running the pull-down rig and was running the back fab shop there and test team and all that stuff. And, um, you know, Ty Norris came back through there and was like, you know, who's this guy? And uh, Derek said, this is the driver. He's like, the guy that's putting the helixes in? And Derek's like, yeah, he's here every week. And he's the guy that's winning all the races right now. And so I sort of got on their map a little bit. And so when – you remember when Michael Walter racing went with Toyota, they were trying to make those races. They were missing a bunch of races. Right. Um, Cal Wells and Rob Kaufman, Rob Kaufman bought into the race team mm-hmm. and um, they wanted to 
you know, Daryl Jared was retiring and they needed somebody, you know, they knew Rudiman was going to go in that UPS car, but they had a seat open. And I was on that list. And so is Josh Wise and a bunch of other young guys. And then also veterans, right? There was a bunch of veterans on the list. And Ty, I think, I'd have to ask him now, but Ty and Michael were leaning that veteran route. And Rob Kaufman came in and said, man, if I'm paying for it, we're going to take a shot. Let's put somebody young and hungry and see what happens. And that's how I got that deal. I didn't, I mean, I literally was racing ARCA, got hired, signed a three-year deal with Michael Walter Racing to go cup racing the next year. Didn't bring anything to it uh, because they wanted somebody young and hungry and dumb enough to not know any better. That's incredible. But now we need to, but, and I love that part of it, but, Back up because Jeff asked what the sponsor was that you didn't like, and you says, "Hang on, I'm getting oh, to that." Oh, that's what you were asking. Yeah, I'm that's sorry. what I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You intrigued it. It sounded like it. <laughs> oh, I mean, I have a list of names it could be that <laughs> that you wouldn't yeah, want to be so, involved with, but so the sponsor was Playboy. Oh, oh okay. Heck, I yeah, thought it was Hustler. And so, <laughs> and so I I ended up driving that Playboy car for a year, you know, and I just wasn't that excited about it, you know. Yeah, but I tell you what, I remember that and watching it, we were excited about it. I, I, was, yeah, I would no, think there I, would be like some I cool said, fringe I mean, benefits along. Yeah. You know, I'm just yeah. saying. I, I mean, it was just one of those deals that it just didn't, just wasn't for me. And then too, also, you got to remember, I mean, this guy's. I mean, I spent twenty five million dollars of his money, right? So hold, it wasn't hold that, money. hold that thought right there. <laughs> and we're gonna come back. Twenty five right. million dollars. On the twenty five million's got me stunned for a second here. <laughs> All right. All right, once again, we're talking to Michael McDowell. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking to driver, entrepreneur, Michael McDowell. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Michael, you've intrigued me. You really have, not just as the race car driver that I know, but the businessman you were. You were you were entrepreneurial. You were a street hustler. You did a lot of things. And a little while back, you mentioned Rob Finley had helped you. And, and I know we were up to the point where Rob Kaufman and Michael Waltrip, and you're going to go to that deal. But you had mentioned something about, you know, Rob helping you and you'd pay him back in future. And I, I lost track of that. Can you explain what you meant by that? Or did he? Yeah, would... I lost track of it, too, because I didn't want to pay it back. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've heard of these stories. What I think you're going to say, and I don't. I, that's why I'm intrigued to hear it. So, uh... no. Yeah. So, I mean, what what I laid out and I don't mind sharing it. And I know Rob wouldn't mind sharing it either. Is that, you know, he gave me that one point two million to go to Eddie's and run. Um, and, you know not that he was committed to spending more beyond that if we kept going, but that was part of the plan that was kind of laid out because, you know, it's hard. It's, it's impossible to go from Arca to cup. You know, we knew that we were going to have to run trucks and Xfinity and all these things and ended up bypassing that. But the way that it was structured was that he would continue to invest. And then when I went cup racing, he would keep a hundred percent. Well, not a hundred percent. I would get to keep the first $200,000 that I made every year. That's what I was allowed to make, $200,000. Anything above that would go to pay back the debt. And then once the debt was paid back, he would get, you know, I think it was 10% for the next 10 years, whatever it might be. I think that was pretty close to the details. Okay. So I go, I spend $1.2 million running with Eddie in the ARCA series. I sign a three-year deal with Michael Walter Racing to go cup racing. I ended up, you know, running, I think, 25 races that first season, and then they fired me. Um, but during those 25 races, I made just over a million dollars, and I was able to pay him back that full million dollars um, that he put in. And then from that point on, I was married, kid on the way, just bought a house, had a motorhome. Just stroke this guy a check for a million bucks, mm -hmm. and I have no job. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> Got the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, so, Time I mean, to that, start over. So now at this point, <laughs> yeah. and I, I love the business side because I heard about this type of program. You, you, you were an investment tool, if I might say it in a simple way. Uh, and, someone you know, invested in for you sure. for a return down the road, right? Yeah, for sure. But also, too, I think the, the investment portion in this particular situation, I know guys have done it you know, different in the past, but it was just a way for him to justify helping me. He okay. wanted to help me. Right. You know what I mean? And so – you know, yes, it was completely legit, and I mean, nothing made me happier. That I know it sounds crazy, but you know, I was 20 years old, and writing him a check for 100 grand a month, I felt like this is amazing. Because when I signed that deal, I thought, man, there's no way I'm gonna ever pay this guy back. <laughs> and now I'm writing him a check for 100 grand a month, and I'm like, man, this is so cool. It, it was so rewarding. You know, it just felt like, you know, you just. Are achieving something and you're coming through with what you said you're going to do well, you that, know? and it kind of sucks at the same time i'm writing a no, check for a hundred grand <laughs> yeah but you got to remember at the time i thought i was going to be doing that forever right right it sucks now <laughs> i mean yeah. are you still on the 10 percent deal with him now no 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 oh, okay not. yeah no and, and really you know i had that conversation with him and yeah. he said look man i never intended for this to be you know, like a, a real a business deal. <laughs> yeah, no, he's just like, if it worked out and you were making $10 million a year, yeah, I'd want you to pay me. But, you know, I'm not going to take 10% of your nothing right now. And that's what it was for the next 10 years. Like I 10% mean, for the next of 10 years, yeah. I was grinding it out, starting parking, you know? And, and so, you know, he didn't, he didn't, um, he wasn't worried about that. Oh, I can say one thing. I don't know Rob Finley, but I'm going to compliment him. What a great guy to help you through that part of your career and give you an yeah, opportunity I mean, to get, get somewhere. Never would have had an opportunity without it. Never would have been able to do it. Yeah. So, Okay. So you um, – kinda... he, he always kids. He goes, man, just think about it. Think about how lucky you got when you got me as a student that day at Bondurant. And, you know, this is 10, 15 years later. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I hit the jackpot. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Michael. You, you talked about your road racing and Bondurant and all that. So I had uh, last week I talked with, uh, and I, I think I pronounced his last name properly, John Doran, who runs the IMSA series. Yep. And John and I were talking. I went and did some road race testing earlier this year, and I, I have that desire. I'd like to kind of, you know, I'm not a prototype driver or anything, but I'd like to go road racing. So before I come to the show here, he sent me an invite to come to Road America or Road Atlanta this weekend for their finals. Oh, that's cool. And it's like, I'm listening to you talk. I was like, wow, maybe there's one so, of the rich guys down there too. There probably is. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Hey, so not to add to your segment, cause I know you'll probably have to uh, cut this short, but John Doonan, who runs IMSA right now, who you're talking about, is who ran the Mazda Road to Indy program. He is the guy that moved me along all those years. Really? Yeah. Well, that was, uh, it's kind of, we met on LinkedIn, if you want to know the truth, and then we <laughs> uh, transposed some Facebook messages, and I was cutting grass the other day, and the phone rings, and it's him calling. And uh, yeah. so, a well, small, small well, let, let him know about this uh, interview that you did. He could probably tell you some more stories, too. Oh, we will. I, I, yeah. This is the part Jeff and I, or at least I do, and I know Jeff's smiling all the time. These show, This is the stuff about these shows that's cool. Man. Oh, you learn so much, though. Yeah. I, interestingly enough, so you did the start and part thing for for you know a few years or whatever let's fast forward to front row motorsports how did that opportunity yep. present itself well you, you'd have to take one step back um and go to levine family racing um because when i joined lfr they were running scott speed which is ironic right based on this story and um <laughs> and and they were doing some start and park and they were doing some racing but they weren't running full-time and they hired me they wanted to grow they wanted to build it and we did, you know, that first year we, we didn't do the full schedule, but we did a partial schedule, but we ran all the races and we were building something. And, you know, I was there several years and we got to a place where it was going good. We were running full time. We were kind of running in those top 15s. And, you know, that was amazing for us because it started out at 30th, you know? Um, and so we were slowly growing and things were going good and they were going a little bit too good. I mean, it was just going good enough that it was attractive for a guy like Casey Kane to come over and, and run for them. And that's not a bag on Casey or anybody else, but you guys understand what I'm saying. Like when you're running 25th every week, you're not going to get a guy like that to come do it. 
mm-hmm. um, but it was running good enough that it was an opportunity. And I think Hendrick probably helped out a little bit with it. And me, you know, I just was out of a job again. And that's how I ended up at front row. And, you know, I'm so thankful that that's the transition that I had because at the time I thought, man, there's no way I'm going to land another cup job. I mean, there's so few and far in between and I didn't have anything to bring at the time. And, you know, it was just, I I pretty much felt like there was no chance I was going to land on my feet. Wow. Uh, And then you win. All right. So then you win the Daytona 500 in 2021. As a race, yeah, that's as, crazy. I mean, as a race car driver, that's that's it. Like that's the Super Bowl. You've won the Super Bowl. But uh, tell us what the 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 weeks following that victory mean to a race car driver. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I think about there. There's a few things. You know, at Front Row when I first started there, we just progressively have gotten better and better and better and better, and that's that's still going today. I mean, with you know, what we talked about at Texas qualifying in the top five racing in the top 10. I mean, this, this program's on a, a great trajectory right now. And so we were on that path and we'd had some really good runs, you know, especially at super speedways, you know, a couple top fives, a lot of top tens, you know, a, a third, you know, being really close at the last lap to be in position to win a race. So I felt like it was building leading into 2021. Our program was getting better. Our super speedway program was really good. Um, you know, we're starting to have some success and, and so we were getting to be in that position. And, um, you know, when, when we finally crossed the finish line and, you know, for me, it was like this overwhelming, just raw emotion of excitement and adrenaline. But shortly after that, I just was remembering this journey and all the people, a part of that, that we talked about today, you know, from, that very first go-kart that we bought from Max and Derek McCluskey to, you know, me getting those guys to each kick in a little bit of money and how influential they were to the Mazda scholarship to, you know, Michael James coming through when I needed to meeting Rob Finley. I mean, just all this stuff. And it just made me just so thankful. So it was just humbling to think about how many people sacrificed so much for me to have this opportunity. And for me, I was young, cocky, and arrogant when I came into the sport. I got thrown out of IMSA, suspended. Just I was a wild man for sure. If I would have won that first year in 2008 when I was a rookie for Michael Walter Racing, that's what I would have expected. I would have expected that I would have won and won the championship. Literally, that's how arrogant I was. And to have to struggle for the next 13 years, start and parking running used tires, just hustling small little deals just to be able to run a few laps, like doing that for 10 years to have that moment happen in Daytona. I mean, just over the moon excitement. I mean, just so thankful for the journey of how tough it was. I mean, it was a grind and to, to be able to reach the pinnacle of our sport and win the biggest race. I mean, it's just amazing. You can't even make it up. So, so let me ask you something. I'm, I'm listening to that, and that, that's just so humbling, so wonderful. But back, back yourself way up. You were young. You were cocky. You were arrogant, you said. How did you get those people to like you enough to help you, you think? Because well, you, you, something they yeah. – that must have overrode with confidence because they must have seen confidence in that you know, young, cocky, and arrogant kid. Yeah. And, and so I don't, I, when I say cocky and arrogant, I think that that's probably the better way of saying it is I was ultra confident. I just knew, I just thought I knew that yeah. no matter what I did, I was going to win, you know, and I just had that, that swagger yeah. <laughs> uh, early on and cup racing just humbles you. Um, you know, I wasn't rude to people. I wasn't a jerk. I wasn't any of those things that maybe that arrogant, you know, puts off. I was just super confident that, yeah, I'm going to go cup racing. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember Matt Borland. I mean, you know Matt, right, Mike? Sure. I remember I tested for Matt Borland. Um, he was working for Gene Haas. They were running a truck program. And I was racing ARCA. And they did this little driver shootout um, down in, I think it was Macon, Georgia, or something like that. And he invited me to it. I came out and ran. And, and I remember sitting in the hauler with him afterwards. And, and he's like, well, you know, I just 
I'm not sure what we're going to do. You know, we're trying to find a young guy that, you know, can do it in the truck series. And I looked him dead in the eyes. This was before I had a deal. And I said, Matt, I'm going cup racing. I don't even think I need this. I think I'm going cup racing. I mean, so that's how I was just to give you an idea. (laughs) And then shortly after that, I went cup racing. Um, and so I just thought, yeah, that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to work. And, you know, you get into the cup series and it's just, extremely humbling Rather right humbling. it's just absolutely that's yeah, what people I've heard, I've heard other drivers say that man it's hard to win these oh, races i just i'm sitting listening to your career and thinking about my own and when you said young cocky i had people say that to, oh you're cocky and hell i says believe it or not i'm really not i'm just very confident i think i can do this you know and yeah and it's just but then it's humbling you run well you run something like well right out of the box then it gets really hard unfortunately yeah yep yeah well michael i'll tell you what uh, unfortunately we're getting close to running out of time and i can i want to take the remainder of the time and tell you how proud i am that you came on our show you told your story daytona 500 champion that's the coolest part about winning the daytona 500 jeff that they they always add champion on it so right. it's like it's it's its own series in itself and you'll always have that oh that's what i mean you'll always it's never he'll, going away. he'll be always introduced as daytona, daytona 500, 500 champion, champion. Yeah. yeah but what we also learned that it was a journey and it was a grind it was a cool journey yeah. i mean it was fun for, yeah. for me yeah. as a race fan very entertaining. So, Michael McDowell, you got a lot of street hustle in you. Got a lot of confidence. You're doing well. Your team is running good right now. Nothing but great congratulations and wishing nothing but uh, continued success. And you do know, I mean, you started to mojo as we talked, but once you come on this show, your career will just continue to blossom. Look so. out because oh, uh, here, I hope so. I here, hope so. Here comes Talladega, and you're good at the super speedway. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> we're going to make you a deal. If you win Talladega, you're coming back on the show within a month. Okay. All right. It's a deal. <laughs> All right. We appreciate it so very much. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. You've been listening right, thanks, to guys. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.